Well, good morning again. Good morning. Hi, Robert. Still here? That's good. That's good. Now, if you have your Bibles, would you either flick or click, please, with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, where we're going to once again pick up our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, this discourse of Jesus, where he speaks of the characteristics which are becoming of those who follow him, and of the type of living, of the holiness which will be produced in the life of those who walk closely with him. You may remember we've, we've taken about a, a month's break um, on our journey in the Sermon on the Mount due to various different reasons, but you may remember that we journeyed through chapters 5 and 6 together, starting with the Beatitudes and then ending with a call against worry. And you might remember that we did it at quite a leisurely pace. Quite a leisurely pace, almost verse by verse. But between now and the end of July, we're going to tie up this study, looking today at chapter 7 and verses 1 to 14. These words which Jesus speaks in these verses split into three different and distinct sections, which for me as a preacher is not, right? will form the order in which we journey through the passage this morning. So verses 1 to 6, they talk about the judging of others and the speck that is in our own eye, or the plank that is in our eye. Verses 7 to 12 talk more, uh, where Jesus talks more teaching about prayer, about our attitudes, and he also talks about what is known as the golden rule. And then for verses 13 to 14, Jesus talks about the way which leads to destruction and the way which leads to life. So before we dive in, let us stop and pray, readying ourselves to receive from the Lord this morning. Let's pray together. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be found in this place. We thank you for the privilege of prayer, where we can come before you, and Lord, we can make our requests known to you. And Lord, right now, our request is that you would speak to us through your Holy Word, that your Holy Spirit would have his way in this place, that you would be high and exalted, that we would be challenged, that our minds would be renewed, indeed, that our minds would be transformed, and that, Lord, we would receive the living Word of the living God, as your living people. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So jump in right in there. In Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6, we read these words Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give, it says digs there, it should say pigs. Do not give pigs what is secret. 
Do not throw your pearls to pigs. I should say dogs, actually, sorry. If you do, they may trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. And that's why it's really important to have the Bible in front of you as you read. Because as Peter will point out week after week, there's always one title. And this week it was dogs instead of dogs. But this is the word of the Lord. So verse 1 here is perhaps one of the most quoted verses of non-Christians in response to Christians. As the older translations say, judge not lest ye be judged. Right? Often used whenever a follower of Jesus has an opinion which maybe disagrees with something which they deem to be anti-scriptural or not in line with the teachings of Christ. It's as though if it's as though if anyone shares an opinion which is contrary to the latest agenda or societal norm, that all of a sudden it's hate speech or it's judging. And in a way, perhaps some of that claim has root. Because sometimes we, as followers of the compassionate Saviour, aren't the most compassionate bunch. And sometimes we, as followers of our God, who himself is love, aren't the most loving bunch whenever it comes to the way in which we communicate or act toward other people. And as Jesus talks and as Jesus speaks about judgment here, it's important for us to recognise that he's not prohibiting judgment. He's not prohibiting it. He's not saying you're not allowed to do that. For as we'll see next week, a level of a level of the judgment of character is required. But rather, what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is calling us to is to walk in the way of unconditional love. That doesn't mean unconditional approval, because we can love without approving and we can love without affirming. It doesn't mean unconditional approval of every societal norm or agenda or of lifestyles of sin which are contrary to God's word. And by the way, any lifestyle which is filled with sin, I'm not talking about one or two lifestyles here, any lifestyle that is filled with sin is contrary to the word of God. But rather, Jesus is saying, what does it mean? Or what Jesus is saying, rather, is what it means is that in each and every circumstance, we are to walk in the attitude of unconditional love, viewing and believing that each and every individual, whether we agree with their lifestyle choices, whether we agree with their opinions, whether we agree with them in general, that each and every individual is uniquely and lovingly created in the image of God. And they are loved by God, just as you and I are loved. So as Jesus speaks about judging others here, he's not prohibiting it, he's not saying you're not allowed, who do you think you are? But rather he is stating that the judgment that is passed should be completely fair and we must do so to others and judge them by the same standard that we ourselves would expect others to judge us. In other words, if we must call a spade a spade, 
We must do so with an attitude of agape, an attitude of God's unconditional love. We read in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How often have you perhaps been misunderstood whenever you were trying to say something? How often have you been misunderstood and then you've walked away and you've realised that the tone and the manner in which you perhaps have said it was not the way that you wanted it to come out? I do it all the time. Lord, forgive me. Sometimes we can think that we're talking in one way, but actually our tone, our faces, our bodily language says something completely different. But here, as Jesus talks about judgment, and here as the writer of Proverbs talks about a gentle word turning away wrath, but a harsh word stirring up anger, what would it look like for us to put on the unconditional love of God? in the way that we approach each and every conversation. But instead of giving somebody a tongue lashing, we take a step back, we ponder, and then we say what we've got to say, but we say it with a tone of love and with gentleness. Anybody who's familiar with the internet will be familiar with the terminology of keyboard warrior. Anybody ever come up against a keyboard warrior? A keyboard warrior is somebody who uh, I like to imagine sits in their basement and, uh, and tells everybody why they're wrong about everything and never, never takes a wee look at themselves. Um, keyboard warriors, those who are perhaps even not on a keyboard but those who are needlessly confrontational, those who stand on soapboxes soap screaming and wailing at people, let this be a warning to each one of us. <clears throat> because I think if we're not careful, we can all fall into those categories from time to time. Love is the greater way. Love is slow to anger, and it is abounding in steadfast love. Love speaks the truth, but it does so respectfully, and with a boldness that is not abrasive, but is gentle. And therefore, should any of us feel the need to speak, speak up and speak out as may be the case in our personal lives and our relationships <coughs> with others sometimes we need to have difficult conversations it's probably worth noting that every time jesus had a difficult conversation he had earned the right to have that conversation beforehand right but if we feel the need to speak up and speak out in our personal relationships May we do so with judgments that are motivated by the generosity of love and forgiveness and goodness toward others. For by the measure you cast judgment, it will be measured to you. And if you do so, if you feel that you must, if you do so, make sure that there's no plank in your eye. There's a little more frustrating whenever somebody comes at you with a grievance and an accusation and you know that either they've done the exact same thing or they're not as perfect as they think they are. 
right? When the pot calls the kettle black, danger is up ahead, right? I have no problem with people coming and giving me correction. But when they come and give me correction and they're not as perfect as they think they are, oh, I need to practice what I'm preaching. When we feel the urge to speak up or speak out, let our first port of call be to fall at Jesus' feet. Let our first port of call be the attitude of King David who said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139 and 24 for those who didn't know. The truth is, we need to ensure that we remove any plank from our own eye before we go and help others. You ever been on an airplane? I know I talked about an airplane last week, but I'm going to talk about an airplane again because I'm missing the airplane. But you've ever been on an airplane and they do the safety instruction and they always say that whenever you're lifting the life jacket, always make sure that you have your own mask or your own jacket on before you help anybody else. So next time you're on an airplane, remember to take the plank out of your eye. Right? Simple little thought. But has anybody heard of this? It's the Jahari window, right? The Jahari window. And, and, and I'm not going to bore you with all the different concepts of this, but you'll see that there's four different boxes. There's the open, there's the hidden, there's the blind, and there's the unknown. The open is known to others and it's known to you. The hidden is unknown to others, but it's known to you. That, that part of your life that maybe you don't let anybody else see. Sometimes rightfully so. But on this other side, we have our blind, what we call our blind spot. Our blind spot. The things that everybody else can see, but maybe we can't see ourselves. Right? I don't like it when people find out my blind spots. <laughs> right? But we all have blind spots. We all have, we all have blind spots. And then there's this fourth one where crap, I'm just going to change again. Right? But there's this, and then there's this fourth box that's unknown, things that are unknown by you and everyone else. Right? And that's, that's okay. But as we think about this concept, sometimes whenever we go and we share with other people, they, they may be blind spots to them. I think of that passage in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where Nathan, a prophet of the Lord, goes to David the king and he tells him a story um, about somebody who took somebody else's sheep. And David is straight on it. And he's like, that man must be brought to me and he must be put to death. When actually it was a parable, it was a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, explaining to David that which he had done to another guy called Uriah when he took his wife and then sent him to battle and had him killed. This was a blind spot for David. A real gaping blind spot. And sometimes, sometimes we need to point out these blind spots in other people. But similarly, sometimes people need to point out these blind spots in us as well. C.H. Spurgeon said this. He said that Jesus is gentle, 
But he calls that man a hypocrite who fusses about small things in others and pays no attention to great matters at home in his own personal life. You often find that the people who are, she is so excited back there. <laughs> you often find that people who are so up in other people's faces are often neglecting something closer to home and are what we call overcompensating. And sometimes it may be a good idea that if we feel this pull within us to go and correct somebody else, that we take a step back and we go to God and we say, why do I feel this? That we say with David, point out any wrong that is in me. Point out anything in my life that is not of me. And by his spirit, God is gracious and kind and he does just that. And Jesus went on and he talked about not casting to the dogs and not casting your pearl to the swine. As for the pearls to the swine, we need to exercise discernment or wisdom. And sometimes we need to stop beating the same drum all the time. In other words, we need to stop having the same conversations with the same people about the same things all the time. And we need to recognize that whilst it's our job to communicate truth and reconciliation, in a loving way to a broken world, as broken people ourselves, by the way, who have been transformed, that we need to remember that it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict. And it's the job of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation in their lives, just as he brought it in yours. And boy, doesn't that take the pressure off a little bit? Doesn't it take the pressure off? We'll, we'll skip forward here now to verse 7. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if, a son, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Here in these verses, Jesus shares principles for prayer. And then he moves on in verse 12 to what is known as the golden rule. Whilst there's a lot that could be said on this section, I sense that a quick summary would suffice for us this morning. And it's this. The quick summary, it's not going to appear there, but the quick summary is, receiving is the reward of asking. Receiving is the reward of asking. Finding is the reward of seeking. And entering through the open door is the reward of knocking. And it is the best reward of all. That doesn't mean that we get what we want all of the time, but it does mean that our prayers are not only heard by God, but that they are answered by him each and every time. Who likes getting stuck at traffic lights? <laughs> Nobody likes getting stuck at traffic lights, do they? But imagine that you're stuck at a traffic light with me right now, and you see the red traffic 
light, the red light, where, where actually God says no. Sometimes whenever we come to him and we ask him for stuff, he says no. Not because he gets a kick out of saying no to us, but because he has a better way and a better plan for us. I thank God for prayers that were not answered the way I wanted them to be. Amen. Right? You're sitting there and you're filled with hope because the red light has turned to amber. And sometimes with an amber light, God's answer is not no, but it's simply not yet. Or wait a little bit longer. And then the delight comes. When the light turns from red to amber to green. And you're flat on the map. And you get a green light where God, God gives a resounding yes in response to our request. But regardless of whether we get a red light, an amber light, or a green light, regardless of the request, we always receive an answer. We always receive a response. And he's not going to give us a snake whenever we ask for a fish, and he's not going to give us a stone when we ask for some bread. And I find, and maybe it's just me, but I find that sometimes the problem is that we forget to humble ourselves before God and simply go and ask him. Sometimes we forget to simply humble ourselves and go and ask. We're told that when we seek him with all of our hearts that we will find him. So are we truly seeking or are we just pretending that we are putting on a, a wee face for everybody else? And are we knocking? Are we actually knocking? For when we knock, the door we're told will be opened. Sometimes I, I wonder if we coming to the door, whatever, whatever that may be, the door here is a metaphor, right? But whatever that may be, we come to the door looking for breakthrough and we see, that the door, we see that the door is not open wide, or it's not even sitting ajar, that we actually forget to wrap the door in the first place. If you went to somebody's house, you'd wrap the door, wouldn't you? You wouldn't just go, well, the door's not lying open, so it mustn't be in. Right? You'd go and you'd wrap the door. And the same saviour who stands at the door of our hearts and knocks, invites us to knock at the door of breakthrough and of his goodness and his grace. The problem is we're forgetting to knock. We're forgetting to knock. It doesn't matter how educated you are or are not, you can still knock. And sure, you might need to persevere in your knocking a little bit for the answer might not come immediately, but God promises an answer to anyone who diligently seeks him. He values persistence and passion in prayer because those who do show that they share his heart and care about the things that he cares about. So whatever, or perhaps it's whoever you're knocking at the door for today, keep knocking, keep persevering for an answer because an answer is on the way. I love what Adam Clark says. 
Adam Clark from Tobermore, or Tobermore if you're from that part of the country. He says, ask with confidence and humility. Seek with care and application and not with earnestness and perseverance. It's good, eh? It's good. And then the golden rule. I'm not going to talk about the golden rule, but I am going to read it because it's self-explanatory and that's why it's the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. But this sums up the law and the prophets. Talking about this, C.H. Spurgeon again said, Oh, that all men acted on it, and there would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing. But all would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this, which has such a law. And then lastly, are you still with me? Yeah, that was a wee bit faint, but I'll, I'll give you. Yeah, we're still here. Moving on, verses 13 and 14. And this is really important this morning. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. All of what Jesus has been sharing, not only in this chapter, but indeed in the Sermon on the Mount up until this point, all of this leads us to the road less travelled. You see, the hope of our gospel message is this. The hope of the gospel message is this. That we were separated from God through sin. That we were destined for destruction and everlasting life without Christ. But a way has been made. A path has been laid out as Jesus, the gate for the sheep, laid down his life to pay the ransom that was on our heads and clear the debt of sin for anyone who would come to the Father through him. This is the gospel. Amen? And the hope of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who can lead us toward everlasting life with the Father. This resurrection life begins with the forgiveness of sins and is brought to completion on the day of Christ Jesus when we meet him in the air and take up our residence in the new heaven and the new earth where we worship our God and King forever. Where, when we've been there, as we sing 10,000 years, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. But the gate and the way which leads to this life, we are told, is small and it is narrow. And it can only be walked side by side with Christ. Christ who goes before us, Christ who is behind us, Christ who is beside us, and Christ who by the Spirit is within us. No amount of good deeds, no amount of law-keeping, no amount of self-righteousness or box-ticking will enable us to walk the way. Only Jesus will. He who imparts and imputes his righteousness upon us, he who makes our faith sight, he who can make the vilest clean. It's always been Jesus. 
It'll always be Jesus and it'll never stop being Jesus. And today in this place this morning, by his Holy Spirit, Jesus, this same Jesus, offers himself afresh to all who have never been on the path that leads to life. He offers it to all who were once on the path but have strayed from it. And he also offers it afresh to those who find themselves on the path to keep them there till eternal life. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward and I'm going to pray. Um, and then we're going to sing in, in response. Somebody asked me, well, why do you do a response every week? I do a response every week for this reason. Because I believe that the Word of God is alive and active. And I believe that by His Spirit, He longs to speak to each and every individual, either physically here or indeed watching at home on DVDs or online as well. Small is the gate and narrow the road. We can only journey it with Jesus. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. This whole journeying with Jesus thing is two things. It's the best thing you'll ever do. And secondly, it's more than just a wee prayer. It's a lifestyle. And we can't travel this road by saying a prayer and just hoping that we'll make it. But rather, we can walk this road by walking with Jesus. So, as we sing this next song, I'll just quickly pray. And then we'll respond together. We'll stand if we're able to do so. But let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you have made a way, small and narrow as it is, but Lord, you have given us yourself to make it possible that we might be with you forever. Not just in the life to come, but that we may have the joy of walking with you in the here and now, living life and life abundant. So Lord, help us. Help us, wherever we find ourselves right now, to centre ourselves on you, to allow you in, to allow you room, that you would help us and that you would enable us to walk the small and narrow way and that you would go with us every step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.